Um, this morning, it's interesting, Pastor John has been preaching on Sarah and Abraham and, of course, the whole Sarah and Hagar story. I didn't know what he was preaching on when I came up with what I was going to do. And it's like I picked a couple more very dysfunctional people out of the Bible, <laughs> unbeknownst that that's what he was doing, working on as well. But I am taking a Genesis 38 this morning. But before I get to 38, you have to know what's going on in 37 to be able to relate to what's going on in 38. So in chapter 37, what happens is, you know, we learned about Joseph, we learned about um, Abraham and Sarah, and they have Isaac. Isaac has two sons, but we're going to look at Jacob. Now, Jacob um, was absolutely in love with a woman named Rachel, and he was going to marry her, and the father picked, pulled a switcheroo the night before, and he ended up first marrying her rather ugly sister, Leah. And he wasn't real happy about it when he found out. So he goes back to the father, and the father says, okay, after marriage week, you can now have, have Rachel as your wife. However, you have to work another seven years, which he does. Well, then the baby fight starts, because the big thing is to have children, and Rachel could not have children with Jacob. However, ugly Leah could. And so Rachel then hands, her, her hand, hands Jacob her handmaiden and says, here, have kids for me through her. And Leah does the same thing. So to make a long story short, they, Jacob ends up having 10 sons through two handmaidens, Leah, and then finally Rachel, towards his older age, has two sons. And she has Joseph and she has Benjamin. And she actually dies when she gives birth to Benjamin. But Joseph, Joseph was Jacob's favorite. I don't know about you, but have you ever felt like that child that is not the favorite in the family? I have felt like that. I always felt like my brother was the favorite in the family. And there's only two of us. And he was three years older, and he took great joy in his life, was tormenting his little sister. And he used to hold me down, and he would literally spit in my face and let drool. And that was, yeah. And then one time, I remember my mother worked just part-time, which you would think would be all right with like a, a 10 and a 13-year-old for three hours. But something happened, and I don't remember what, but what I do remember is I ended up with half of a peanut butter sandwich here and the jam and the bread here. <laughs> don't remember how it happened. All I remember saying is, I'm going to leave it like this till mom gets home. <laughs> The good news is we ended up being close. <laughs> so he grew up at some point. But we are looking at sibling rivalry, rivalry, and Jacob caused a lot of it because Joseph was his favorite, and he made no bones about the fact that Joseph was his favorite. In fact, he made a coat, and in Sunday school you may have heard the coat of many colors, well, a beautiful coat for Joseph. The translation of that word coat actually means a coat with sleeves, which means nothing to us. But back then, it meant you were the boss. So number 11 son is basically elevated above 10 sons that are older. So that was strike one. You know, and uh, Joseph would go back to his dad because he loved his dad, and he wanted, and he'd say, you know, the brothers are out there doing this. It's not right. Strike two. Then Joseph would tell, he shared that he had two dreams. The first one he tells him is, all of you are going to be bowing down to me. Strike three. Then he shares another dream that says, the world is going to be bowing down to me. 
Well, they did not like him in any way, shape, or form. So what they do is the, the ten, the ten half-brothers are out tending sheep quite a distance away. He has to go find them. They see him coming, and they go, let's kill him. So they're plotting on how, into, how they're going to kill Joseph. They get him there. They strip him of the coat. They throw him in a cistern. And in, and in um, 37, it actually says that they sat down and had a meal. I guess they were dis discussing what they were going to do, how they were going to kill him. And then Judah, one of the older boys, comes up with the idea. Look, here comes a group of Midianites. They're going down, down to Pharaoh, down in Egypt. Let's sell him. That way the blood's not on our head. We're going to make some money. Let's just sell him as a slave. That's what they did. And then what makes matters worse is they take the robe, they rip it to shreds, they cover it in animal blood, and they take it to father and say, whose is this? And so Jacob is totally distraught, totally wiped out. His favorite son, he figures, has been torn apart by a beast. And so it says all of the kids try to calm dad, tried to comfort him, he would not be comforted. So then we come to 38, and it's Judah, the guy who, was going, who came up with the idea to sell him. So Judah has watched his father basically be destroyed by this. And you can just figure he was like, I don't know how much more I can take. And this is where chapter 38 comes in. That's why you needed to know what was in 37. It says, at that time, Judah left his brothers and went down and stayed with a man of Adullam named Hira. So what Judah does, and this is why I love this Bible so much, this is us. This is so much us, the things we do. How many times have we done something that is, we're embarrassed about, or it's wrong, well, it's wrong and we're embarrassed about it, and we run. We run away, don't we? We run from our family. We run from our friends. We run from our faith. And that's what he did. He ran from all three. We do that. Sometimes what we do is maybe we go back to the old haunts. You know, I was not raised Christian. We go back to what we knew and our old friends and possibly, you know, the situation. It's just a downward spiral. It's never good when you are running away when you need to go back, turn around and go, you know what, I blew this, and this is the truth. But he didn't, he ran. He goes down to his pagan friend, Hira, and then it's going to get worse, because Judah met a daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her. The Canaanites, Deuteronomy 9.5 says, do not be influenced by their evil ways. The Canaanites were evil. They worshipped demons. In their worship, they used prostitutes. In their worship, they sacrificed their children. They were evil people, and God continually said, stay away from them. And what does Judah do? He goes and marries one. Running away, it says, he married her. He lay with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son whose name was Ur. If my translation would be Er, Ur, but Ur. <laughs> She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. And this is a barbaric person's peop barbaric people, so it's like, oh, yeah, Onan the barbarian. <laughs> I'm sorry, my mind just works like that. I apologize. <laughs> um, she gave birth still to another son and named him Sheila because they probably really wanted a girl. <laughs> 
It was at Kezib that she gave birth to him. Now, years have passed because Judah, now verse 8 says, Judah went to, uh, excuse me, Judah went out and got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. That was the custom back then. The father went out and grabbed who they thought was best for you, which I think is when I was younger, I thought, how horrible. Oh my gosh, my parents picking out my husband? Oh, now that I'm a parent, <laughs> not such a bad idea. <laughs> but Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord put him to death. And people will say, that's terrible. Why would the Lord put somebody to death for doing something wrong? The words in here actually mean it was a life of wickedness. And to be honest, sometimes people are so wicked, God puts them out of their misery, to be honest, and he protects others. Because evilness and wickedness is contagious. And if you don't think so, just turn on the news. And you can see it just kind of grows. And so God did this because he needed to stop some of this wickedness. Remember, this is an evil people that Judah's among. So it's not really that big a surprise. Then Judah said to Onan, lie with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her that the offspring would, would excuse me, fulfill your duty to her as brother-in-law and produce offspring for your brother. Again, this was a custom and it actually became, it's one of um, part of the 34 Levitical laws in the Old Testament that actually started in Genesis. And what happens is they want to honor the brother, they want to keep the family name going, and it is protection for the wife as well. Because women back then had nothing. If you didn't have a spouse and you didn't have, or children, someone to take care of you in your old age, you would be on the streets because women did not own property. You know, they didn't have things and they didn't have anyone to take care of them. So this is a protection both for her, but it also was a way of honoring the brother and the brother's name would not die. However, Onan had other plans, but Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he lay with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from producing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, so he put him to death also. Now, do not take this out of context. This does not mean that family planning is bad. You want to have 12 kids? God bless you. You know, that is not what it means. This was not family planning. This was family plotting. Onan was rebelling is what he was doing. And again, he's a wicked peep. They're wick wicked people. He didn't have the good part in there. And so God put him to death. Wow. Aren't we thankful that we're in the New Testament with Jesus times? <laughs> and you know, the other, because I, you know, I have a weird mind. I thought, what if you have an older brother and he brings somebody home that he wants to marry and you may, you realize that you may end up marrying her if something happens to him? I could just see him going, uh-uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, live as a widow in your father's house until my son Sheila grows up. For he really thought, I added the really there, he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. So in other words, he's thinking, well, she married Ur and he died. 
She married Onan, and he died. I have a feeling she's a black widow. <laughs> so there's no way I'm giving her my younger son, Sheila. No way. That's what he's thinking. So Tamar goes to live with her family. Judah's Judah still down where he, does, where he shouldn't be. After a long time, Judah's wife, um, the daughter of Shua, died, and Judah had recovered from his grief. If you look at the, New King, at the King James Version, it says he was wanting to be comforted from um, the death of his wife. So what does he do? He doesn't go home to his family. No. He heads down to Timnah, to where the men were shearing his sheep, with his friend Hiram, the Adolamite, went with him. I don't know some of you Bible people. Do you remember who else got in trouble in Timnah? Samson. That didn't work out too well for him either. So Tamar, finally, the light comes on. Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear sheep. She took off her widow's clothes, and she covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. And she sat down at the entrance of Anaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that, though Sheila was now grown up, he had not been given to her as his wife. So, as you can see, the light bulb finally went on, and she finally realized there is no way that I'm going to be given this husband. So what she does is she puts on Literally, it was prostitutes' clothing because they used prostitutes in the worship, in their pagan worship. So she puts on the clothing, and she's totally, it's not like the ones, you don't think of a streetwalker who has very little on. They were covered from head to toe. And she goes and sits on the road where she knows she's going to run into him. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute. And it's interesting, in Hebrew, that meant consecrated because they were set apart for worship in the pagan temple, not consecrated the way we know. She had covered her face, not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law. She went over to her by the roadside and said, come now, let me sleep with you. And she says, what will you give me to sleep with you? She asked, I will send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Well, she didn't trust him. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. And he said, what can I give you? She said, I want your seal, I want your cord, and I want your staff. What those mean are, the seal was the ring, the signet ring that they used. It was who they are, okay? It was the person, and so she wanted that. The cord was actually like bracelets, which, which signified wealth or possessions. So it was the person, the possessions, and the last was his staff, and that, that is um, his power, basically, is what it meant. Even now, today, they say, we have staff. Interesting. But so what she wanted was person, the person of him, his possessions, and his wealth. She said, I want it all. And in today's life, when you're involved in immor immorality, that's what you end up with. You give everything. So he gave them to her. He slept with her. She became pregnant. After that, she left. She took off her veil, put back on her widow's clothes. And meanwhile, Judah had sent the young goat with his friend, the Adulamite, in order that his pledge might get back from the woman. In other words, we do that a lot too. We do something wrong and we go, I'm going to cover it up. I'll just pretend it didn't happen. I'll fix it. Well, that's what he was trying to do. And of course, he couldn't find her. 
He asked the men who lived there, where's the shrine prostitute that was beside the road to uh, Anaim? And he said, there isn't any shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and he said, I didn't find her. Besides, the men who lived there said, there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Then Judah said, well, let her keep what she has or we will become a laughing stock. In other words, he's saying, I have to keep my bargain or they will be laughing at me because I didn't keep my bargain. But the truth is, he didn't keep his bargain to start with. He never gave her the younger son. After all, he says, I did try to send her this young goat, but you didn't find her. So now three months pass, and Judah is told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution, and as a result is now pregnant. Interesting. He says, bring her out and have her burned to death. Isn't it interesting that our sin looks worse on other people? When we really get upset about something that's being done, you really got to take a look at your heart and go, am I guilty of the same thing? Because when we do things, we have a way of going, ah, no big deal. But it, you can, I don't know if you remember Jim Baker, you know, the famous televangelist years ago, got in really pretty bad trouble. And Jimmy Swaggart had a lot to say about him. And in less than a year, Jimmy Swaggart had the exact same thing. So, you know, our sin looks worse on someone else. We need to make sure that that does not happen. As she was brought out, I love this, she sent a message to her father-in-law and said, I am pregnant by the man who owns these things. And she added, see if you recognize the seal and the cord and the staff and who they are. So in other words, father-in-law, you see this big giant J on this ring? Who do you suppose this belongs to? Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son, Sheila. And he did not sleep with her again. Basically, it sounds like he just left her. He didn't marry her. He didn't give her to his son. Here she's pregnant. And, it, and Judah, interestingly, other than showing up one more time to actually defend one of his brothers, so he did learn something, um, he kind of disappears as a person off the pages. When it came time for her to give birth, the twin bo there were twin boys in her womb. She was giving birth. One of them put out his hand, so the midwife took it and put a scarlet uh, thread around it, tied it to his wrist, and said this one came out first. Because remember, the firstborns had special, they got special things. They had a bigger share of inheritance. Firstborns were blessed. They had more rights, basically. But he drew his hand back, and his brother came out. So this is how he is broken out, and she named him Perez, which meant breaking out. Then his brother, who had the scarlet thread on his wrist, came out, and they gave him the name of Zira. Um, there's a whole sermon in there by itself, but I'm not going to do that today. Why in the world is this crazy story in here? I mean... I mean, you are never going to see this on a flannel board in Sunday school. <laughs> it, you know, it's just insane that, you know, you look at this and you go, God, why? Why is this in here? Well, there's a couple things I want you to take from this. If you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember we all live messy lives, every one of us. 
Now, we may not do exactly what they did, but we got our own problems. And we, we do crazy things. It's interesting, you know, when I think back over my life, I was not raised Christian. And when we worked with youth, I always said, do not put me up on a pedestal anywhere because there's not a commandment I have not broken. But the important thing here is, and you've got to see this, God, it's not what we're doing, it's who is your God? Our God still loved them. Because if you look in Matthew 1-3, in the lineage of Jesus Christ, guess who is there? It says Judah and his sons. He was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, that gives me incredible hope. Because the secret to all of this is in Jesus. Are you in Jesus? Everything is covered. You know, uh, Romans 5.8 says, He loved us so much that he gave his life while we were still sinners. Boy, that gives me such hope. When I read this book, because I'm one that believes every story is in here for a reason. I'm here that I believe that the words are in here for a reason. I believe that we are shown messy lives because we live messy lives. That is us. We are not perfect. We are never going to be perfect this side of heaven. But God loves us anyway. And, you know, when they were singing the songs, Amazing Grace, you know, the fact that Tamar, there's only three women that are included in the lineage of Christ, Tamar being one. And, I mean, that is Amazing Grace, that he included her. She was deceptive. And look what she was doing. And Judah, Jesus himself calls himself in Revelation the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's Judah. Oh my gosh, he loves us anyway, and he died for us, and it's just a matter of, have you accepted that? Because eternity away from Jesus Christ is a very long eternity, and you don't want to be there, I promise you. It's not our character. We do questionable things, we always have, we always will. And it's not going to stop because we're human. The good news is when we blow it big time, Jesus loves you anyway. He loves you. He died for you. The truth is, are you in Jesus? Have you made that commitment? Have you said, Lord, I need you in my life? You know, it's not Jesus plus anything. You're never going to get there by our own works. We're never going I don't care how many little old ladies you help across the road, which I'm now one. I don't care how many soup kitchens you work at. I don't care, you know, how many mission trips you go on. If it's not Jesus plus anything, it is just Jesus. That's where you start. Once you realize, and once you've accepted him, and you realize how much he loves you and what he really did for you, then you want to do all that stuff. But that's not where it starts. It starts with Jesus. Have you accepted him? You know what? There's not one of us that's guaranteed tomorrow. Not one of us. And I guarantee you, you don't want to go into eternity without Jesus in your life.